When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls, a Danganronpa podcast. Today, we are going to be doing a case analysis on Chapter 3, and we are so, so excited to get started. Just so you know, this episode will spoil Chapter 3, Goodbye Despair. We hope that you enjoy, and we're going get, to get going. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. Welcome to the Don and Rumpa Podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. This is the case where Mikan kills Ibuki and Hiyoko gets killed because she found Mikan at the crime scene. That is what happens, indeed. <laughs> that, that's it. That's, that's what happens. There is a lot that happens in this chapter outside of just the case itself. Like, there's a lot to, to discuss in the <laughs> first part of this. Yes. Um, yeah, so we got... The first thing we got is, like, kind of dealing with the aftermath of Mahiru's murder, um, yep. which is pretty wild. And I haven't... so. I happen to be taking a um, afterlife class this semester. So I'm learning a little bit about like different religions views of the afterlife. And um, Nekamaru makes a comment about how Mahiru has like reached Nirvana. And I think we all kind of know what like that means in like by association, but I learned about it in context with the Buddhist religion of like the afterlife and all that stuff. And it basically just means that they have reached a state of selflessness, which I honestly, I, I love that for Mahiru. I think that, yeah, she was like kind of sexist, really sexist. And, but she was never selfish. It was never like, you need to do this for me because you're a man. It was more like, I care about you because you're a man. I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I just, I, I like that for for her. That's all. Yeah, she's definitely super selfless. I actually wrote down with like the memorial and stuff and them all talking about her, that they kind of roast her about her talent even after she's dead. Um, like they're talking about the photos on the board and they're described as horrifying. Yeah. The pictures are horrifying. And the pictures are them like hanging out as friends. <laughs> so it's it's not like it's Mahiru's body or something like that. Like it's yeah. just like normal pictures and they're like oh man these stink <laughs> like <laughs> i was like wow guys really out here man yeah i thought it was really really interesting how hyoko i mean it kind of makes sense though given that hyoko already is contrasted like as a character she's like this small little girl with this high-pitched voice and she's a traditional dancer and she's got the pigtails but she's like so mean and like terrible but also in the fact that she has she creates this like shrine to her dead friend that is just so dark and morbid and like a little grotesque and just you know with the the skulls all over it it's just kind of like 
you know, it's interesting and it was weird. And I, I definitely see why the all the characters are like, oh my God, what is that horrible thing in the corner over there? Why are there animal skulls all over like a shrine to Mahiru? But I also feel like part of me wanted to give Hyoko the benefit of the doubt because like there is some depth to that. I think you can you can see how much Hyoko is mourning for her friend, you know? Grief isn't pretty, so why should the memorial be? The memorial just didn't really bother me that much. Like, the animal schools, I didn't think it was that creepy. I thought everyone really overreacted. I mean, there were flowers and candles, and, like, the candles were creating the smoke around it. Like, I guess the animal schools were, like, the creepiest part, but, like, she didn't use human skulls. Like, (laughs) it was very clearly a memorial about death. And I was like, wow, this is nice. And then everyone lost their minds about it. And I was like, (laughs) oh. (laughs) He said, this is um, not that scary, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, honestly... This round of playing the game, I think that I appreciate Hyoko a lot more as a character. And I think that I really sympathized with her a lot in this chapter, like what she was going through and the grief. I mean, like she, in my opinion, like is reacting in like a very normal way when your like very close friend just dies like that. I, I really was like, wow, I really gave her a hard time for like being a baby but she isn't she's just reacting in a very human way to like losing a loved one (laughs) yeah yeah so with the new island there are a couple of new places this island actually in general gave me really bad vibes like i did not like it it looks deserted as if it's been deserted for like centuries like there, there's tumbleweed going by and everything's kind of like creepy and darker and like I don't know it just felt a lot it made me feel a lot more uneasy than the other two islands but we also have an absolute icon on this island which is the one the only music venue known as titty typhoon yeah. we're out here <laughs> I cannot, I, I could not believe it when I saw that that was what was going to be the next location. I was like, really? What? <laughs> it's actually called that as a reference to Titty Twister from the movie From Dusk Till Dawn. It's like a real place um, in an old George Clooney movie. Yeah. I did not know I don't, that. I don't know why they referenced it in the movie. It's just about these like tough guys who get stuck in a bar that's like secretly run by vampires. And so I couldn't really find the connecting piece there. But yeah, that's that's where it got its name. <laughs> I was going to say my biggest note, like my highlighted as like most important note as far as new discoveries on the island is the file that we find on the laptop on Electric Avenue. <laughs> Another fun reference there. But yeah, the Usami X file. And I thought maybe that was a reference to X-Files, the show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. It definitely is. I I think so. I was like, (laughs) how could that be? How could that not be a reference? But there's some interesting stuff in that file. Talking about the biggest, most awful, most tragic event in human history. You know, stuff that's familiar to us. But it also brings up a reserve course at Hoax Peak Academy, which is new information. Yeah. And Monokuma even says that we should definitely know about it. Like. Hajime, who we play as, should know about it. And we're like, why? <laughs> right. It, it, it talks about the file, talks about the reserve course starting a revolt against the ultimate students because they were being treated unfairly. And supposedly that's what initiated the tragedy, which is interesting because 
the implication in the first game is that it was like Junko and Mukuro who initiated the tragedy. So it's kind of contradicting the first game a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a little confusing too with the timeline. Like I think this file, at least for me, like just messed everything up again because it says that Hope's Peak is gone. Like it's closed. And it's like, this is before the first game though, or now it's like, it must be after, right? If it's closed, it's yeah. I, that threw me for a loop. Yeah. Because the file also brings up the killing game. It says that Hope's Peak had to shut down and the students who survived were forced to kill each other as a lesson in despair. So you gotta wonder, is that what's refer, is that referring to Makoto and all the students in Trigger Happy Havoc? But Hajime also asks, I just realized another note I had, Hajime also asks himself whether that is referring to him and the students around him as their killing game. Yeah, Mm, true. Yeah. So, yeah. So it could be, like, really either. We don't know Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think at this point, like, we're not sure if we should be trusting Monokuma about him Um, or sorry not him about Monami taking our memories away like at this point we're kind of like is it a lie like do we trust this bear who's very dishonest (laughs) (laughs) my next thing is about the theater there's like a nice little drop in there about the ultra despair girls game (laughs) which I kind of wish I'd played the game when it first came out because I think it would have been super cool to see that poster and be like who's this like what does this mean for the <laughs> franchise, you know? But now that we yeah. know that there's a third game. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the hospital. Y'all. Let's. <laughs> Let me tell you. This is like, so, okay. Little background info. I am very sensitive when it comes to the content that I consume. I get very scared very easily. I don't play horror often. And this hospital alone, without any of the events that take place in it, were almost enough for me to be like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this game because I was like a little afraid of what was going on. Um, that's, that's, that's all. I just want to talk about that. It's like the handprints on the windows and like it's dirty and, and all of that. And then obviously what happens later doesn't help that we were spending a lot of time in the hospital, but um, yeah. Um, when I like started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, I talked to Caroline about this, but there are a lot of scenes in hospitals in it. Um, I'm not going to spoil Buffy on this podcast to all of our listeners who haven't yet made their way through, but there are a lot of hospital scenes and a lot of the time people are very anxious or afraid when they're in the hospital. And as someone who works in a hospital, I find it very interesting how negatively society views healthcare settings because I understand that a lot of death and a lot of illness happens at a hospital. You like that is where you go when you're sick, but that's where you go when you're sick to get better. You know, without hospitals, everyone would die sooner, quicker, and worse. And so, like, hospitals in my eyes are a very positive thing, they bring life back to a lot of people. And I think, like, a lot of media portrays it in that way. Like those hands on the windows are so creepy. Why? Why do that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. I mean, the amount of horror stories and movies that take place in hospitals, it's like really excessive. I had another little note about the hospital, which is actually just something that Gundam says while you're in the hospital. And I just thought it was so interesting. Marin, it looks like you had the same note. 
But Gundam says that the hospital gives him nostalgia. And um, a quote from him says, this place is similar to the place where the mark of defeating the devil was carved into my body long ago. And, <laughs> and so I, I just, I thought that was so interesting. I mean, obviously Gundam is cryptic and always speaking in riddles and dramatizing everything. But I mean, I took that to mean that he probably has like surgical scars from something in his past. I don't know what they might be. I don't know. Maybe he got like an appendectomy or something. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. That's literally what I wrote is I was like, I bet he got his appendix removed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like it's probably like the lamest surgery. surgery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He got an appendectomy. He was like, yes, I defeated the devil within my body. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see that. I love that you thought that. <laughs> My name is Gundam Tanaka. Remember it well. <laughs> I have a question. Do we ship Nekomaru and Akane? Yes, and I actually wrote a long thing about this. Okay, I just want to shout out to Nekomaru and Akane. Because I'm so thankful that the man who gets to spend time with her and treat her well admires her for her abilities, which makes their relationship so much more genuine and believable because it could be so easy to just be like, oh, Akane is like the sexy gymnast. Like she's dressed very, you know, revealingly. And he is like the only, honestly, the only man in this game who I think deserves Akane because he's not out here like oh wow look at your big boobies like he's like (laughs) I want you to work hard I want you to be better you know and yeah I he's really awesome I do so when Nekomaru gets hit with the bazooka later like a little bit later in the chapter um as like a sacrifice to Akane he goes away the kids are like oh man where's Nekomaru and Monami is like, what'd you do with him? And Monokuma says, Nekomaru, the boy who turns into a woman when he gets splashed with water. So I looked it up and Maddie looked it up too. Yes, yeah! I did. <laughs> well, I, when we say one brain cell, it's really true. <laughs> There's one. Um, but he is talking about a story called um, Ranma One Half, which is a story that revolves around a teenage boy named Ranma, who was trained in martial arts since early childhood. And he gets in an accident during his training journey. And he's cursed that whenever he's splashed with cold water, he becomes a girl. And every time he's splashed with hot water, he becomes a boy. And I was like, why on earth did Monokuma bring this up? Like, what? is what and so i looked up the story um we're about to have some ranma spoilers so to our listeners if you don't want that um but in it there is a man with a dojo that's been passed down like through generations and he wants his daughter to marry someone so that he can pass the dojo down to them and his daughter's name who happens to be a short temper martial arts practicing girl her name is akane and i was like what yes (laughs) mind blown oh my goodness so i think that confirms the relationship between the two of them the fact that the writers are putting in a secret like nekomaru is kind of fighting for akane's hand little tidbit in there that felt like a, a lean towards that direction 
I can definitely see that. I was actually going to say that I don't ship them romantically. I kind of see them as like a best friend duo. And, but I can totally see it going either way. But for me personally, like I, yeah, I, I really like their dynamic as like just two really awesome like friends. Yeah. It's, that's a tough one because we don't really know whether that's canon or not. Like it totally could be. It's like, so it like, it absolutely could be. I don't, I don't know if I would say it is canon. It's like almost canon, but it's almost not canon enough where I kind of they remind me a lot of Mondo and Taka, actually, um, mm. where a lot of people think it's real. And then some people are like, they're just bros, you know? So, mm. like, that yeah. is the vibe I get from the two of them. Gotcha. For you, Hiko was alive! Yeah. Oh um, I mean, we know he's, we kind of knew he was alive, but still, like, it, it's real now. Like, we know, like, he has survived. He's come back, you know? He's, he's out here. did you have a note about it caroline well i mean just that it happens like that that i learned about this in school so some people listening probably already know this but like some might not so i do want to explain so so, fihiko in this moment performed seppuku which was a ritual act um during the samurai period of japanese history and it happened whenever a samurai did something that was shameful and it was seen as better to sacrifice yourself and basically kill yourself by stabbing yourself in the stomach than remaining alive. Like that was the way to get ultimate forgiveness for whatever you had done. Um, and so that's what's happening here. And I have a note that when I first played the game, we obviously know that this isn't true because he, we know he survives. But when I first played the game, I truly thought that was the end of Fuhiko. I was like, that's it. I mean, he's almost died two times now. Like, this is the end of Fuhiko. I'm glad we get to see more of him. But yeah, that was a wild and spooky time. I love that Hajime also after um, Kazuichi Nekumaro, who, side note, are always carrying people in every situation, which is hilarious to me. He he goes in his head, well, this is awkward. I'm like, awkward? Like, that awkward moment when your friend <laughs> seriously injures themselves, Hajime? Like, come on. <laughs> oh my god I was actually gonna say that I like I was gonna say that I had mad respect for for Fuyuhiko in this moment because I just thought that it was so brave that he was like facing up to them again I mean if you think about it like he was not the black in last chapter but he was pretty responsible for Mahiru's death I mean we know Hyoko holds him responsible and like he is trying to like own up to what he's done. He feels bad. Like he clearly feels really bad. He's grieving over Pekko. He's physically injured. Like, you know, he's, he's gone through some stuff, but he tries to start over and like has a fresh start. And he literally, I loved how he was literally like, you walk into the room and you see him and he's like, hi, my name is Fuyuhiko Kuzuryu. Like, well, like it's, it's just the reintroduction. He's like, I want a fresh start. You know, I think it's just so brave. Like I admire him for standing up to all of them and facing them and being like, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Like, I want to make things right. Like, cause I don't know what reaction he was possibly expecting. He says after he slits his stomach, I didn't expect to be forgiven with such a half-assed apology. So I don't think that he like had any expectation of forgiveness, but he still went and apologized. And I think that he becomes really like an asset to the team later on, like during the investigation. 
Like, yeah. he's really on top of it. Like, he's trying to help out. He's like, here's my alibi. What's everyone else, what's everyone else been up to? Like, let's try to figure this thing out. Like, he's yeah. a really great team member. Also, with his alibi, when, like, we as Hajime are talking to him, we're, like, kind of sus. And he's like, oh, you're suspicious of me? And he's like, I get it. He's not like the other people, like Akane in the trial, who's like, you're going to doubt someone, you horrible person. And I'm like, let's be a little realistic here. Like, <laughs> even 5% realistic. I love Akane. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to bring up that Hajime brings up in his thoughts again. Hajime just thinks in deep thoughts like every protagonist ever. But he talks about how, like, you know, the kids here are not equipped to deal with death. Like, that's a quote from him. And this is also after Hiko has left and he's seeing how Hiyoko is reacting to, you know, what happened with Mahiru. And it kind of made me think of like, you know, because my grandparents sometimes will talk about how, like, when you get to be this age, because my grandparents are older, you know, that you, your friends die, like a lot. And that made me kind of think of that period of life that obviously these teenagers are not equipped to deal with that. Whereas elderly people, like in a way, I don't know if this is like Maddie maybe might know better, but like, as you get older, you become more comfortable with the idea of death, you know, like, like young people have death anxiety and that changes as we get older, not completely. And everyone is different. So this is like, it's a thing. But I think I almost wonder if like, I don't know. Part of what I do in my psychology research lab that I, I do research on is death anxiety. That's like my whole thing. And, um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Older people generally tend to have less death anxiety because they've had the opportunity to sit with it for longer in their lives. That knowledge that like eventually one day we all die, you know, younger people sometimes have really heightened death anxiety, but it can also manifest as like the illusion of invincibility where younger people are so much more likely to put themselves in risky situations and like do all these things. And because they think that, Oh, I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to die. Like, and that's kind of like a defense mechanism for higher death anxiety sometimes. So you're absolutely right. And it's not something that teenagers are that well equipped to deal with. Obviously, like this is a heightened situation. Like any person of any age who's in this situation would be like freaking out. So I'm not saying like (laughs) they're, yeah, invalid. Obviously, they're completely valid. Right. But um, yeah, that, I just want to say that. Yeah, but even in general. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a tragedy when a child dies that occurs that's different than when an elderly person dies because it feels like a loss of potential. Um, and that's not that older people can't accomplish anything. That's obviously not true. But you know, a 12-year-old dying versus an 89-year-old dying who really got to live their life? I think there's a pretty clear answer. Um, and so it's just, it's there. there is something very distressing about people who don't get the chance to experience life dying. My next thing is the despair disease. I don't know if you guys have anything. I have actually <laughs> three, but small things. My first thing is and I'll I'll do this one I'll do this one first because it it kind of comes off of the us talking about the Fuyuhiko thing is a quote from Fuyuhiko when he says it's just a little life Peko gave me it's not precious anyway and it hurt me to hear him say that because you know I I don't want 
it hurts me to hear anyone talk about their own life in a way that they don't value it, you know? But right after that, Nekomaru responds to him and says, you stupid idiot. That's all the more reason you need to take care of it. And I loved him for that. Oh my God, I loved him in that moment. And it reminded me of you, Marin, just a little bit about how like, you're like so aggressively like caring about people sometimes. Like that's something I think you would say. I think it's accurate that you got for, for context for anyone who hasn't heard listeners, ne- um, Nekomaru is Marin's personality doppelganger, according to an internet quiz. But that's just like something you would say, Marin, like anytime me or like even Caroline, sometimes if we're being hard on ourselves, you're the one who comes in and is like, you are stop that like no <laughs> don't be dumb like <laughs> this is really accurate love yourself. <laughs> i love that oh my god i was gonna talk about how hyoko forgives fuhiko right before i think that's a really powerful moment and i think that that moment kind of i, I don't know i i believe in that moment that was when monokuma was like all right we need to whip out the despair disease because i believe that everyone could have lived in harmony after that apology was made. I do. Or like apology after she forgave him because that was like the biggest grudge and the, the motive, which we'll get to is something that is like not controllable. So Mm. it's, yeah. Interesting. For me, I thought Monokuma produced the motive because he saved Nekomaru. I had to check there for a second to make sure we knew that at the end of this chapter we do. We know it's now Nekomaru, but I think that him deciding to save Nekomaru's life was kind of like, okay, well, in exchange for this, which I didn't have to do this, but I was nice to you, I'm going to produce this negative thing. That that was where I thought the motive came from, oh. but I actually really like that that uh like argument i think that's super valid like when they're all at the party and ibuki's playing her music i was like they could live like this forever like i, I truly believe that if this despair disease hadn't interfered i think that they would have been fine my next thing is just a small little note is something cool that i noticed um is so ibuki ha- you know puts on a music show she sings her song her original called from me to you too and if you go on, you can actually look up the Danganronpa soundtrack on Spotify. And if you look at it, the the composer, like the artist who's listed for most of those soundtracks is um, Masafumi Takata. But in this one song that's on the soundtrack, For Me To You Too, Ibuki Miyoda is listed as one of the artists, like on Spotify, Aww. like she's a Spotify artist. I thought it was so cool. I love that. That's really cute. Also, my my other note was to give a shout out to the chart topper. I squeezed out the baby, but I have no idea who the father is. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and then my last thing before we get to the despair disease is a quote from Hyoko. And this is when Neko Mario is talking about wanting to protect Akane and that all is, is happening. And Hyoko says, can you please not involve me? I don't want to die a meaningless death. And that was like, oof, <laughs> because she kind of does. I mean, like, not going to lie, this is probably, her death is probably the most meaningless death that's occurred so far because it was an accident. It was literally like she happened to stumble across the scene and Mukon had to kill her. Like, it, it was not planned. It was not intentional. It was actually very not planned. And a, a fun fact that I can maybe get to later, but, um, or maybe I'll just say it now. The original creator, the creators of the game did not originally plan to kill Hyoko in this chapter. They, um, I think they were planning on killing Fuyuhiko. 
and then they they decided not to. But Hyogo's death was like kind of put in last minute, and that's why there's kind of a lot of holes in that aspect of this case. Like they never even cleared up what the murder weapon was for Hyoko. Like it was just kind oh of oh my god, you're right. Like Hyoko's death was not planned not by Mikon but it also wasn't planned by the creators of the game it just kind of happened so sorry Hyoko they did you dirty here <laughs> they really did oh, I always assumed it was a scalpel to be honest I mean there's no real reason to think that other than ultimate nurse probably a scalpel I mean yeah yeah it's <laughs> um Hyoko walks in on two murders though like, can we talk about that? In yeah. case two, she walks in and, and her buddy's dead on the floor. And now she walks in and her other buddy's dead on the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. If she had survived, I would have locked myself in my room and been like, I don't care about my kimono. Like, it's done. I'm just here. <laughs> I don't want to see anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, she really, anywhere else. Oh my God. She really, I mean, she locks herself in her room this chapter, but she would have probably done it again and never left. I wouldn't have blamed her. Let's talk about this motive, which I mean, like the part where we don't know what's going on and you hear Akane crying. I I was like, Ooh, like I, I, I was like, I hate this chapter emotionally because characters that you love don't act like themselves. And it's terrifying. It's so scary to me. And I hate that. This is actually maybe my favorite motive in any game ever. Like really? in terms of Danganronpa, yeah. I love the ability of a writer to take a character and turn it on its head. So like, interestingly, Caroline, I think we have the opposite take here. But like they, so just for listeners, the motive is the despair disease, you know, which basically makes you turn into the opposite of your personality, pretty much. Um, usually with a negative spin on it. One of my notes is how on how the despair disease how the despair disease affects Nagito differently. Does it make him into the opposite of who he was? I mean, people talk about how, oh, he's already a liar, blah, blah, blah. But like... But is he? I don't think he is a liar before. And also, they call it the liar disease for him. I would almost argue that it's just the despair disease for him because like... He has the one line where he says despair, 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 like over and over. I mean, yeah. So I I do personally think it's the opposite. And I think Monokuma even says like, it's like you get an opposite trait, you know. But I was actually going to ask you guys what you think your personalities would be if you got the despair disease. (laughs) Maddie's ready. (laughs) I know what mine would be. I think I would just start engaging in like really risky behavior. Like I'd start going to like all these crazy parties and like just, you know, getting real out there and like just totally, you know, and um, burning my homework too. that. Um, yeah, that I think that's what it would do to me because then it would be like, I would regret that so much, you know, like later on recovering from, you know, like, going and doing like reckless things that you then look back on and you're like wow that was really dumb like that Mikon give- murders two people maddie burns her homework <laughs> 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 no yeah I, I i feel like i would just become really really reckless like and so like just do all these dangerous things <laughs> I, I i would okay so you know that this is very specific. You know that Batman villain that's like half good, half evil? 
yeah. I forget his name. So I think that I would, and he like flips a coin for like whatever decision he's going to make. And I think I'm very, very indecisive. That's one of my biggest flaws as a person. I think I'm very bad at like making decisions. And so I think that my despair disease would be, I would make a concrete decision, but it would be like 50-50. So I would go either way. I could make the really bad choice or I could make the really good choice, but we don't know what choice is going to be made. You know what I mean? That's like the negative spin on it, I would say. I think I would become an absolute menace to society. I would have no moral code. Everything (laughs) would be in the gray. And I'd be like, I mean, you know, there's no answer here. Everything's right. Everything's wrong. Time to go destroy the world. I'd become Junko. Wait. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite, like, opposite that I was thinking about for the characters was Gundam. Because couldn't you just imagine he walks out of his hospital room and he's like, hey, guys, I'm so excited to have a great day. And like the most chipper, high-pitched voice. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Like, not dramatic oh at God. all. Not at all. There Any are no metaphors. <laughs> is expressed in passive aggression. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about why like i don't dislike this motive it's fine i though i do i i wrote i literally said this motive is essentially an ex machina so that people who wouldn't characterly characteristically murder do that is why this this motive exists like true except we learn at the end that this could be mikon's real personality so interestingly she might be a person who would murder i have some some notes on that and we'll get there at the end the remembering <laughs> disease question mark yeah yeah because you can't like even if that was a symptom of her disease and the disease is gone the memories aren't going to go away they're still there right so that's right. the difference right. in how it affected her versus the others right. gotcha um, so like not it's like the memories acting on her ver- versus like the despair disease yeah like, like the, she had the disease but, you know, when Akane got better, I believe that she also got better, but the memories stayed because you can't, like, have a disease and remember and then the memories go away. Like, that's not how that works, you know? And even um, with Akane, she continues to cry a little bit after. And, like, I do think that's because she kind of realizes maybe how she feels about Nakamaru. But, like, she didn't cry before, period. Yeah. She says, like, why is this still happening? So I think that there are after effects from the disease, you know, that stay with them post post curing if you will yeah and i think it's especially interesting i know i I said this a a little before i don't want to be too repetitive but i think it's really interesting to to examine it from the nagito angle thinking about why it affected him i think more strongly than ibuki and akana at least like illness wise i mean he was like frothing at the mouth and like passing out and like almost dying and like Akane and Ibuki didn't get like that so I can't help but wonder why so what I thought it was is that well disease affects different people differently not to be terribly redundant but you know like (laughs) I might get the flu and be better in three days and you might get the flu and be better in two months you know it's very different and then also it really, really reminded me of when Mondo dies in Trigger Happy Havoc and Taka loses it. It's the first time that Taka thinks outside of his moral realm and he loses it. And in this case, it's probably the first time where Nagito thinks in terms of despair and he almost dies. And so like that to me was kind of a parallel there of like, 
you know, like not being able to handle a differing take on something physically. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, when they're in the lobby of the hospital and they're kind of figuring out what the disease is and whatever, Hajime is not a big fan of the idea of quarantining and stuff like that. And he's like, are you sure we should be listening to this stuff? And Chiaki says, to prevent a killing, we can't ignore the motive. And I was like, okay, so... No, I don't think they should ignore the disease. So I'm not going to take Hajime's side. But at the same time, I don't know that I can take Chiaki's either because they haven't ignored the motive in the past and there's still a killing. I don't know how that (laughs) helps. Like, why not try something new, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. This chapter with like this virtual communication and the group being separated it was like a little too topical. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, this is real. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Wear yeah. your masks, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. It was interesting that they don't know how it's transmitted between mm-hmm. them because it's bugs, right? But then yeah. they're like, but we can't stay together because maybe it's person to person. And then Gundam says, if it's airborne, the hotel on the first island might already be unsafe. And I... Could not handle that. I was actually FaceTiming Caroline when that line came up. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you literally just walked the infected people to this hospital together in a group. If it's airborne, you probably have it. <laughs> like, God, like, I know. Don't go back to the hotel. No, no. Let's just stand in the hotel or in the hospital lobby and just like, chill here for a bit oh man i was like and then nobody has ppe on uh, sorry personal protective like equipment mask gown gloves and mikon never wears it she never wears it ultimate nurse no (laughs) no not ultimate please protect yourself yeah Yeah. Uh, i feel you there were some frustrating moments Mm. (laughs) gotta be real Mm -hmm. yeah we have the dream where Hajime sees a vision of a classroom and we see people calling him no- normal and unexceptional. And I actually wrote that I feel like this is a relatable experience because our generation is raised to think that we're all exceptional. Like like that that is like, we're not one in a crowd. We're like each a unique person, even though we're all, you know, that's a negative point of view. No, I kind <laughs> anyway. of agree. I don't love the participation trophy yeah, yeah, world. No, yeah. It, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I also think that because of that culture, people are always bringing down others for their successes. And so this dream didn't say much for me because I was like, I don't really like. Yeah, okay, he's going to Hope's Peak, and they're being rude about it because like they're jealous of his success. That was how I viewed this. The last thing I have about like the disease aspect is that. I would say that Hiyoko would win the award for most likely to not get COVID, which ironically, she dies in this chapter. So I found that <laughs> kind of funny. Um, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> just a little shout out to our girl. Um, yeah. And then the only other note I have for the pre-investigation is when Nagito gets a little bit better and Mikan's like, hey, like, come look, Nagito's a little bit better. He says... 
there's twin Ibukis, the Veronicas. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> this man is not well. <laughs> but I looked it up. Um, the Veronicas are an Australian pop duo from Brisbane. And I was like, I don't know really what the connection is there. But I think the music aspect is Ibuki, obviously. Um, and they kind of have that, like, a little bit more grunge look to them. Torn clothing, like, ripped tights. But they wrote a song called Lolita. And that kind of ties into Hiyoko. If you've listened to our past episodes, you know, like, why? And it's about a, like, forbidden, obsessive, twisted love. And that, it really reminds me of the end of the chapter and maybe the love between Mikon and her, what does she call them? Like, the beloved? Her beloved, yeah. 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 So it was just kind of interesting. I don't know that that's what they were referencing, but that was the closest thing I could find, really. All right, you guys, we want to know, what do you guys think despair disease would do for you? Leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm if you're interested. And if you want to get more Ultra Hope Girls content and hear some bonus episodes, we have a Patreon if you want to check it out. We have Marin the Ultimate Nurse doing Ultimate Nurse Files. I do Ultimate Literary Girl Files. Maddie's out here doing Ultimate Psychologist Files. It is great. Check it out on our Patreon. Link is in the episode description. And follow us on Every social media platform, we're Ultra Hope Girls everywhere if you want to keep up with the latest. And we will be right back after the break. Hey, listeners, just a heads up that we wanted to include a brief content warning for the second half of this episode as we do discuss themes of suicide. If you'd prefer not to hear that section, feel free to skip to the last five minutes of the episode where we wrap things up with, as always, a fun round of Bedwed Behead. Remember to take care of yourselves, listeners, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Murder at Titty Typhoon. It's like Panic at the Disco. It's like, I have that as a note. It's like, murder at Titty Typhoon. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Anxiety at the supermarket. (laughs) I have as a note, just, um, you know, Hajime walks in. He's like, God, it's so hot in here. And he looks at the thermostat. He's like, wow, it's 86 degrees. And then I was like, it was 86 degrees in chapter one in the freaking guest house, but you didn't complain about it then, did you, Hajime? I was like, why? I was so, that is the beginning of a domino of just like things I don't like about this case, but like, God, I was so angry about that. So yeah. Caroline, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that you like, you know, are really not a fan of this chapter. I, I know that like you're not a fan of it in regards to the despair disease and like what happens with Ibuki and like all that stuff, but even just the logistics of the case, this is actually a case that I really liked. I like I had a lot of fun solving it. I see some holes in it for sure, but I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. I kind of liked it. So it kind of surprises me to hear that from you. Yeah, I have okay, there are a couple of things. We can just do this now. Okay. So one I I know that Marin likes this motive. I disagree with you, but that's okay. That's why we're all out here. I I like what I said earlier about it being an ex machina. I prefer when murders happen from Hume, like what is already happening. Like this is like a very external thing that caused a different scenario in the ecosystem. I per, I would prefer something to already sprout from the ecosystem that was existing personally that that is something that I I I, I like character driven pieces and this was just like a not very character driven 
murder that occurred emotionally i mentioned before i this case really disturbed me like when i watched it i actually was a little nervous to go back and play it because i had a lot of tough time a tough time processing and dealing with this chapter on a personal level but also why don't we just talk a little bit about the timeline for a sec because it pisses me off so much oh my god okay so all right <laughs> me con and okay I want to preface. I understand that the despair disease changes one's personality. I get it. However, there are certain things about like your physical body that you're in that like don't change. So like, for example, like I have weak abs. That is a trait of mine. And so my balance isn't very good. Mikan is klutzy. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because she has weak abs like me. This is a weird rant. <laughs> but like, she's a clumsy character, okay? And like, yeah. th- yes, that is a personality trait, but I would also debate that I think that motor skills are built into our muscles too. The ha- habitually, like behaviorally, that kind of thing. Two, if you're sick and have a fever, I don't understand how within the span of a two-minute conversation at the motel, you are able to take down all of the equipment from the room where you filmed the thing. Run over to Titty Typhoon after Hajime has left with perfect timing to open the doors, rip the wallpaper off, which it made it look easy. I don't know how easy that would be. Roll it up, put it in the thing, smash a thing, go break a drumstick, not miss a beat. Like the clumsiest character in the game pulled that off. Okay, she's only (laughs) tripped once. Twice. Twice. Okay, she's only <laughs> tripped twice. Like, does that really make her that clumsy? But okay, if I were doing this, I don't think I could pull that off in that amount of time. Like, glue the door shut. The glue apparently dries in two minutes. I don't know a glue that does that except hot glue. Like, and hot glue wouldn't glue a door shut. You'd be able to open it because it would tear. <laughs> I was just, I don't know. I just had a problem with like, and then two minutes later, she shows up. She just did it all and, and then shows up. And I'm like, Oh my god, I just I I know it could be done. I understand that it could be done. But the chances of like nothing going wrong, I mean, I I just hate that. <laughs> I would argue that something did go wrong though because Hyoko walked in on it and she yeah. had to Mikan had to improvise and and that led to some, you know, some things that were a little more sloppy about it. Um Th- this I, is fair. I will say though in my, just the way that I saw it was that like maybe a little bit of hindsight bias, but after learning that she was a black and this time and about everything she did, I kind of saw it as that like she had been playing up the clumsy thing to like make herself seem like, oh, I'm so clumsy. Like, oh, nobody be mad at me because I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just really clumsy. Blah, blah, blah. Like I, I was a little bit skeptical of that. Like I, I think that she might have been kind of playing that up. I actually want to agree with that. I wrote down some quotes from what she says in the trial. And she says, like, someone's talking about the 10 minutes. And she's like, what unimaginable speed for a slow poke like me. And then she says, like, (laughs) going to the trouble of hiding the body in the pillar is very bold and risky. And, like, she just keeps going. It's over and over. I couldn't do that. Oh, man, not me. And then, like, it's such a lie. It's like. Okay, I'm not talking about anything she says in the trial. I'm talking about post despair or pre despair disease. No, I know, but I think it's like the same thing. I think think it's that she plays it up. up. Oh, yeah. 
Really? Yeah. I don't agree with you. (laughs) Well, she wants to be loved so much. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where she's like, oh, everyone bullies me. Oh, no, everyone's so mean. And it's like, I'm going to keep doing these things because no one likes me. Oh, wait, people don't like me. Wow. It's probably because I'm this. And it just goes in circles. It's like literally a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think it's yeah. like a learned helplessness thing where she she's so anxious socially. She's so scared of people's rejection and criticism that she just wants to make herself like seem really, really helpless so that people will feel bad for her, maybe, is like kind of the vibe that I got. It's like it was like a learned helplessness thing. But so I think it maybe was she was playing up that clumsiness for different reasons, like before and after the murder, but I still think it was a thing. Like yeah, it's. Just, I mean, even we talked a little bit even before about like how the, all the sausage links were wrapped around her when she fell like in the dining hall during the blackout. It's like, how do you even manage that? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, it's just, it's definitely, it's definitely a little out there. But yeah, I, I just, I, I hear you though, Caroline. It is a stretch. I think a lot of, um, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the third trial of Trigger Happy Havoc a little bit, where it's like. Celeste like doing all these things and running around and like the timing just has to work out so perfectly I hear you though but yeah but but Celeste is cunning and wasn't sick so the illness bothers me too because like I understand Marion what you said earlier illness affects people differently but a symptom that everyone with a despair disease has is a fever the others were like oh, I can't, like, I'm in bed. I need to be cared for in the hospital. And, like, we don't see Akane and Ibuki, but they're clearly, like, a little delirious. And, like, I just, they I don't buy it. Bed, though. They Like, Ibuki, I went into the room every time because I was like, I don't want to miss anything, like, if they do anything. And both of them are standing every time. And so, like, I hear you. I do. I do think it's, like, you have to suspend your belief for a little bit. But at the same time, that's every Dong and Rumpa murder. Like, do you really think Teru Teru could pull off a murder? No. <laughs> like, the answer is no. Like, he went underneath the floor of a party and stabbed a skewer that was attached to a bone up through with glow-in-the-dark paint. And, like, that's just not real. But, like, it happened. <laughs> and, like, I think that's the same thing here. I think it's hard to believe. But also, like, she is a nurse. and kind of what's the opposite of a healthcare worker a murderer death care worker (laughs) death care worker so like i see it you know like kind of playing off the nagito liar disease might not be fully accurate i think that hers could be a little bit more (laughs) murdery yeah yeah but yeah i hear you i think the timing was very hard but she does make a lot of mistakes like maddie said i do have a criticism of this um, chapter, though, one of my biggest criticisms actually is um, the moment when Chiaki is like, hey, Monokuma, what happens if there are two killers? Like, what happens if Ibuki and Hyoka were killed by two different people? And when I was playing that, I was like, ooh, wait, okay, that could be really interesting. What would happen if there were two black in? And then Monokuma was just like, don't worry, there aren't. And I was yep. like, yeah that just felt like (laughs) it just felt like a cop-out to me like you know I feel like there could have been a way for us to have figured that out like oh no this had to be the same person versus like um them just giving you that and being like by the way it's only one person you don't have to worry about two people you know it just felt a little cheap to me because also like why would Monokuma help them that way you know like why would he give them that hint 
I had a problem with that because it took away the possibility of Ibuki having committed suicide because this entire investigation, I was like, someone told Ibuki to go commit suicide. Right. And I was like, the gullible disease, this is so deep. And I was like, does that mean Ibuki's the murderer or does that mean someone who told her is the murderer? Like that is an ethical question that I was so excited to get to unpack, but it was like, nope, she didn't do it. Exactly. It was a little frustrating. One problem I had, which actually in the end kind of makes sense, is with the autopsies. Yeah. Ah, man, it was just like there was so much wrong. And then this 86 degrees, the hot room, that was when I like pretty much knew it was Mekon because who else would know to mess up the autopsy? I like... (laughs) Yeah. That was... I was going to I was going to say I want to talk a little bit about okay first of all I have a note that literally just says Akane has never been sick or hurt before she tells us which I think is silly Shiaki eats glue iconic I wanted to talk a little bit about the wizard of monomy because obviously this is a connection to the wizard of oz we all know this is like one of the most alluded to pop culture things in existence of all time okay but I had always been like, yeah, okay, so Wizard of Oz, cool beans. But I think that there are some connections to the way the disease impacted the people who got sick with it and the Wizard of Oz. So let's talk it through. Ibuki, cannot think for herself, doesn't have a brain. I would argue, I have two interpretations of the heart thing. I think that Hiyoko could be, even though I know she wasn't affected with the disease, I know. But like she could be the person who's seen as heartless because... She can be, is heartless um, a lot of the time. Um, and I had, obviously, without courage as Akane, that's literally, she's the coward disease. Um, I had Naito as the wizard because he lies. He is lying about, like, everything, and the wizard lies about who he is. And then I had Mikan, you find out at the end, is Dorothy because I interpreted the beloved as, like, a sort of god I didn't really know that was the vibe I was getting at the end, but she's going home. She's returning home. So she is like the Dorothy of the story. So her death is like going home. And I I was kind of like a little shook. I was like, wow, there's like definitely a lot of parallels here to like the Wizard of Oz in the way the disease affected the people who got sick with it. Yeah. Yeah. I really hated how they were like, oh, Hiyoko is the lion because she was taped to this pillar. I was like... (laughs) That's Don't another you, thing I had. <laughs> yeah, that did bother me. It was like, I mean, I think it's pretty clear Hioka was missing a heart. Like, that's so evident. I mean, she's rude. She, yeah. And, and then also the Tin Man gets sliced. Like, that is, ah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess the argument was that she could only kill two people. And so she kind of combined two and three for the imitation murder type thing okay but i was like guys you're not even gonna make this connection to how she's literally not the lion like really (laughs) no fun fact i don't i actually don't know i tried to look it up and i couldn't find it so i don't know if i'm right or wrong but i think i think the narrator voice of the that movie is brian beacock yes it is right yeah it is my god i think it is that's amazing it's like his like normal speaking voice (laughs) (laughs) wait you're right that's that's Monokuma. 
Um, Chiaki says, the more people you kill, the more clues you leave. That is true. Um, There's something called the low card exchange principle, which states that whenever there's contact between two objects, they will leave or pick up debris from the other one. So you sitting in your chair, you are leaving something right now and you're picking up something from the chair, whether you know it or not. You touch a bottle you're getting condensation on your hand and you're leaving your fingerprint. Like with everything you do, you're leaving a part of you, which is like a little scary. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's true. Just wanted to put that out there. All right. So the trial starts and it starts off with Nagito questioning us about like, where, like, did we see the movie and when we saw it and whatever. And it really, really reminded me of when Byakuya outs Genocide Jack to prove that Genocide Jack is not the killer. Um, I really like that it kind of made me feel like because i think nagito does care about hajime a little bit um and so it kind of made me think hey byakuya and toko i don't know <laughs> we'll bring that back oh, nagito <laughs> nagito straight up in love with hajime <laughs> there's a moment when nagito is in the hospital and hajime is talking to him and nagito is still very ill and like with the liar disease or whatever and is like get out of here Hajime I don't want to see your face anymore and Hajime's like okay whatever I'm leaving like <laughs> are you serious like Nagito everything he says is a lie it's opposite day for Nagito like, day. he basically just professed his love for Hajime do you remember in like grade school like elementary school and you'd be like today's opposite day and then everyone <laughs> like <laughs> Everyone was like, yes. I'm not leaning against the wall right now. Like, it was so stupid. I love it. Oh, man. Can I also, jumping off of that, I really respected Hajime's point of view when Nagito was like, buddy, prove to me that, like, what you're saying is true. Because Hajime was like, oh, yeah, naturally, like, I need to prove it because, like, I'm the only one. And I really respected that. But he was like, yes, of course, I'm going to need to prove my my testimony i was like yes yes queen like not gonna have blind belief in people oh nor are we going to be like offended by people wanting you to give an alibi or explain yourself or something yeah yeah definitely um i thought maybe mikan's original plan might have been to pin it on hajime um because i don't think she knew that he hadn't seen the movie and that is the only thing that kept him from being blamed you know that is the one factor that took all of the blame off of him and it was between him and mikan at the end and if we had gotten there and he'd seen the movie and it was like mikan being like i could never kill and he's like uh yeah it's her everyone would probably pick him yeah, you're really That's right. Wow, I'd never thought about that about it that way, but you're really right. Another thing, I texted this to our group chat today, but filming location, my butt. Like, what kind of word is that for a hangman's gambit? Come on. Like, they are really reaching here. And then another thing was that the camera angle argument where, like, that was how you proved that it, it was her. I said, that makes no no sense that made no sense i was so angry about that i was like i thought that was like kind of clever i i think that but like anyone who's like thinking a video would think an angle of a camera like it's not that doesn't prove i don't i just i don't don't know 
No, it's okay. I just, I don't know if I agree. I think that like the, um, the implication when Nikon was like, oh, you could see her body type in the candlelight, like at that camera angle. Like, I feel like the very strong implication there was that she was, that she had seen the video, you know, like at that camera angle, really. And like Hajime was like, what camera angle? You know, I was the only one who saw the video. I, I liked that. I thought it worked. I really liked Mikan's voice during that. Like props oh, to the voice yeah. actress. Yeah. That freaked me out. Like that was one of those moments in this case where I was uneasy because it's like, oh, was it the shoes? Was it the dress? Was it her body type? And I'm like, Mikan, yeah. stop. You're like, not this person. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. I wow. The actress who plays Mikan, at least the English VA, nailed it. That personality shift it is a very hard thing to do great actors can't even accomplish like switching your personality like that on a dime like in an instant and she just does it seamlessly like so well and I just want to give her props because that is hard to do that's hard to pull off but also to a point where it still sounds like Mekon yes you know it still sounds like Mekon it's still her but it's like a different version of her it's so good yeah oh my god it's so good I, it could be a good transition into my, one of my notes is, um, I, I wanted to bring up Mikan's because she repeats it a lot. She says, why won't you forgive me already? And I just thought that was interesting. I got the feeling that she wasn't only talking about the murder there. Do you know what I mean? I think that she, like, there's something really deeply rooted in her past, like, that she and there's another quote from her um where she says the reason I became like this wasn't my fault it was all your fault you know because it's not like I'm entirely responsible for turning out like this I'm the person I am today because of many human relationships which in a psychology lens isn't totally wrong I mean I do think that we have a lot of autonomy over the people we decide to become but we are heavily influenced by you know our interactions and stuff growing up and like Mikan I mean she is like so you I I feel like you look at her and you just know that she's not been treated well in the past like it it almost it struck a chord in me when she kept saying like why won't you forgive me already because she sounds like she might be the kind of person who was blamed for things in the past that weren't you know weren't fair to blame on her or something or she was a scapegoat for somebody else's issues and would just be like, why won't you forgive me already? Why won't you forgive me? Like, it just kind of hurt a little bit to hear that from her. Like, because, yeah, it just, that's that's kind of how I saw it. I want to comment on that because I, when I first played the game, I played through Mekon's free time events. And I'm actually pretty sure that that is something that comes up. Yes. I would need to, like, go back and look, but it, it is. And so that's something that, like... I think so, too. Yeah. Definitely influence that. And also I want to speak on in the Enneagrams episode, we gave her the type two. I think almost everybody agreed that she's a type two, which I mean, (laughs) yeah. Um, But something that I don't think I discussed on the Enneagrams episode is that there is a part of like people who teach on the Enneagram that believe that our types are determined by our nine childhood traumas. And trauma is a loose word because like some of us had very happy childhoods and like the trauma we experienced isn't going to be as severe as others. You know, there's no, yeah. But the type two childhood trauma, I believe is exactly what you just said, Maddie, where it's like someone like blamed you for like not doing enough 
or something like that. Um, and that, yeah, that rings true to our, our Enneagram uh, assignment for, which is kind of sad. So the only thing I really have left is some of the quotes she says at the end, which I thought could potentially work as like a title. I don't know, Caroline, if you have a quote, um, that wraps it. Um, but, uh, Mekon is describing like, you know, we kind of, we, we, figure out it's her whatever um and we're talking before the execution and she says like Hajime is like who is this and she's like this person is the past losing memories is like losing personal identity she describes herself as a shadow of the past and that phrase I thought was really cool like I I just think it's kind of accurate like they're all like there but it just there's a little tension between them that something's wrong and like I mean obviously there's a murder game going on but they do remind me of like shadows of the past I think it's the perfect description for the characters as we see them now yeah like the ghosts i literally had that quote written as as the um for the title so we're out here right now what on earth was that execution what what was that it was like weird like fan service-y just I did not like that and it didn't make sense either yeah you don't give injections there that's not a place like they gave it on on the rocket they gave it on like their inner arm that's just false so (laughs) 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 nurse Marin's at it again oh my god but my last note is another quote from Gundam and it is when he, they're talking about um, Nakamaru coming back and being like so happy and to see him. And I think it's to so, something Sonia says, but Gundam says, if you're happy, you should honestly greet him with open arms. Perhaps those who have been taken from us would do the same if they still lived. And like, oh my God. And then <laughs> Fuyuhiko after that says, hey, Supreme Overlord of Who Gives a Please. That line doesn't suit you at all. Um, and then Gundam immediately goes back to be like, I will burn your soul to the depths of the world. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I just, it was so funny. It was so out of character for Gundam, but it was so sweet that I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, Gundam can be seriously real, like, when he wants to be. I think that he puts on this persona of like dramaticness i'm the evil overlord of hell blah blah blah. but like he like it just made me a little emoshi he was like really down to earth at that point and i just thought it was really cool yeah i think he points out something really important about grieving people which is the guilt that people have when they feel joy after a loss people can lose someone really important and go months without feeling happiness. And the first time you feel joy, it feels like a betrayal. Like it feels like you've forgotten them when you haven't, you know, obviously like they would want you to feel happy, like depending on the person, but like, you know, like it's, it's a very common symptom to feel guilty after, after that. And so that scene really touched me. Yeah, for sure. And, but then we find out at the very end that Mechamaru is back and he is a robot. <laughs> <You're> a robot. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I think that this is like wh- when he rolled in as a robot and then we are done with chapter three. I was like, this game is out here really like more out of the box than the first one was like, this is the chapter where that really hit. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. 
for bed with the head do we want to do oh my god and hyoko yeah yes um i would behead hyoko no question I would I would probably bed Mikan and wed Ibuki. I definitely do not want to wed Mikan, but I could get by without beheading her either. I definitely would prefer to probably behead Hyoko. I'm not a huge Mikan fan, but she has grown on me in some ways. And then Ibuki's just great. Like we would just vibe. We would just rock out. Like it would just be a fun time. I have the same answer as you, Maddie. Yeah. I would behead Hyoko. I would bed Mikan. Mikan is a nice girl. She's cute. You know, I'd be her BFF. Um, and then I would wed Ibuki because I honestly think Ibuki and I would be do really well in a relationship together. Like, objectively speaking, I really think that we would we would vibe. If I'm not mistaken, I think she made it really high on your Bestie Picks waifu list. I, I believe it was like between her and Fuhiko. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or something like that, yeah. That's, it's just yeah. like, yeah. So we agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have the same answers. Yeah. Yeah, that was not a hard one. Wow. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ultra Hope Girls today. I hope you enjoyed our analysis of Chapter 3. And let us know what you think. Leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm. We love hearing you guys' questions, your feedback, your thoughts on all the chapters. We listen to everything. So send it our way. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Tumblr. We are Ultra Hope Girls everywhere. We're on there all the time vibing with all y'all. So come on out, hang out. And if you really want to hang out, subscribe to our Patreon. We have a Discord server where there's a whole community being built and where we talk about Don Rompa all the time on there and share memes and have game nights. It's a very good time. So highly recommend that. Anyway, y'all, I hope you have a good day and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.